0: This audio production was made in collaboration with Audible Anarchist. Chapter 10. Agreeable Work. Part 1. When socialists declare that a society emancipated from capital would make work agreeable and would suppress all repugnant and unhealthy drudgery, they get laughed at. And yet, even today, we see the striking progress made in this direction, and wherever this progress has been achieved, Employers congratulate themselves on the economy of energy obtained thereby. It is evident that a factory could be made as healthy and pleasant as a scientific laboratory, and it is no less evident that it would be advantageous to make it so. In a spacious and well-ventilated factory, work is better. It is easy to introduce small ameliorations, of which each represents an economy of time or of manual labor. And if most of the workshops we know are foul and unhealthy, it is because the workers are of no account in the organization of factories, and because the most absurd waste of human energy is its distinctive feature. Nevertheless, now and again, we find some factories so well managed that it would be a real pleasure to work in them if the work, be it well understood, were not to last more than four or five hours a day, and everyone had the possibility of varying it according to his tastes. Look at this factory, unfortunately consecrated to engines of war. It is perfect as far as regards sanitary and intelligent organization. It occupies 50 English acres of land, 15 of which are roofed with glass. The pavement of fireproof bricks is as clean as that of a miner's cottage, and the glass roof is carefully cleaned by a gang of workmen who do nothing else. In this factory are forged steel ingots, or blooms, weighing as much as 20 tons, and when you stand 30 feet from the immense furnace, whose flames have a temperature of more than a thousand degrees, you do not guess its presence, save when its great jaws open to let out a steel monster. And the monster is handled by only three or four workmen, who now here, now there, open a tap, causing immense cranes to move by pressure of water in the pipes. You enter expecting to hear the deafening noise of stampers, and you find that there are no stampers. The immense hundred ton guns and the crank shafts of transatlantic steamers are forged by hydraulic pressure, and instead of forging steel, the worker has but to turn a tap to give it shape, which makes a far more homogeneous metal, without crack or flaw, of the blooms, whatever be their thickness. We expect an infernal grating, and we find machines which cut blocks of steel thirty feet long with no more noise than is needed to cut cheese. And when we expressed our admiration to the engineer who showed us round, He answered, It is a mere question of economy. This machine, the plain steel, has been in use for 42 years. It would not have lasted 10 years if its component parts, badly adjusted, lacking in cohesive strength, interfered and creaked at each movement of the plane. And the blast furnaces? It would be a waste to let the heat escape instead of utilizing it. Why roast the founders when heat lost by radiation represents tons of coal? The stampers that made the building shake five leagues off were also a waste. It is better to forge by pressure than by impact, and it costs less. There is less loss. In a factory, light, planning-less, the space allotted to each bench is but of a simple question of economy. Work is better done when you can see and you have elbow room. It is true, he said. We were very cramped before coming here. Land is so expensive in the vicinity of large towns. Landlords are so grasping. It is even so in mines. We know what mines are like nowadays from Zola's descriptions and from newspaper reports. But the mine of the future will be well ventilated, with a temperature as easily regulated as that of a library. There will be no horses doomed to die below the earth. Underground traction will be carried on by a means of an automatic cable put in motion at the pit's mouth. Ventilators will always be working, and there will never be explosions. This is no dream. Such a mine is already to be seen in England. We went down it. Here again, this organization is simply a question of economy. The mine of which we speak, in spite of its immense depth, 466 yards, has an output of a thousand tons of coal a day, with only 200 miners, five tons a day per each worker, whereas the average of the two thousand pits in England is hardly 300 tons a year per man. If necessary, we can multiply examples, proving that Fourier's dream regarding material organization was not a utopia. This question has, however, been so frequently discussed in socialist newspapers that public opinion might have been educated. Factory, forge, and mine can be as healthy and magnificent as the finest laboratories in modern universities, and the better the organization, the more will man's labor produce. If it be so, can we doubt that work will become a pleasure and a relaxation in a society of equals, in which hands will not be compelled to sell themselves to toil? and to accept work under any conditions. Repugnant tasks will disappear because it is evident that these unhealthy conditions are harmful to a society as a whole. Slaves can submit to them, but free men will create new conditions, and their work will be pleasant and infinitely more productive. The exceptions of today will be the rule of tomorrow. The same will come to pass as regards domestic work, which today society lays on the shoulder of that drudge of humanity, woman. Part 2 A society regenerated by the revolution will make domestic slavery disappear. This last form of slavery, perhaps the most tenacious, because it is also the most ancient. Only, it will not come about in the way dreamt by the phalisterians, nor in the manner often imagined by authoritarian communists. Ballisteries are repugnant to millions of human beings. The most reserved man certainly feels the necessity of meeting his fellows for the purpose of common work which becomes the more attractive the more he feels himself a part of an immense whole. But it's not so for the hours of leisure reserved for rest and intimacy. The phallustery and the familistery do not take this into account, or else they endeavor to supply its needs by artificial groupings. A phalanstery, which is in fact nothing but an immense hotel, can please some, and even all, at a certain period of their life. But the great mass prefers family life, family life of the future be it understood. They prefer isolated apartments, Normans and Anglo-Saxons, even going as far as to prefer houses of from six to eight rooms, in which the family or an agglomeration of friends can live apart. Sometimes a phalancery is a necessity, but it would be hateful were it the general rule. Isolation, alternating with time spent in society, is the normal desire of human nature, this is why one of the greatest tortures in prison is an impossibility of isolation, much as solitary confinement becomes torture in its turn, when not alternated with hours of social life. As to considerations of economy, which are sometimes laid stress on in favor of balanced dairies, they are those of a petty tradesman. The most important economy, the only reasonable one, is to make life pleasant for all, because the man who is satisfied with his life produces infinitely more than the man who curses his surroundings. Other socialists reject the Fallon's but when you ask them how domestic work can be organized, they answer, Each can do his own work. My wife manages the house. The wives of the bourgeois will do as much. And if it is a bourgeois playing at socialism who speaks, he will add with a gracious smile to his wife. Is it not true, darling, that you would do without a servant in a socialist society? You would work like the wife of our good comrade Paul, or the wife of John the carpenter? Servant or wife, man always reckons on a woman to do the housework. But woman too at last claims her share in the emancipation of humanity. She no longer wants to be the beast of burden of the house. She considers it sufficient to work, to give many years of her life to the rearing of her children. She no longer wants to be the cook, the mender, the sweeper of the house. And owing to American women taking the lead in obtaining their claims, there is a general complaint of the dearth of woman who will condescend to domestic work in the United States. My lady prefers art, politics, literature, or the gaming tables. As to the work girls, there are few. Those who consent to submit to apron slavery and servants are only found with difficulty in the States. Consequently, the solution is a very simple one. Is pointed out by life itself. Machinery undertakes three quarters of the household cares. You black your boots, and you know how ridiculous this work is. What can be more stupid than rubbing a boot 20 or 30 times with a brush? A tenth of the European population must be compelled to sell itself in exchange for a miserable shelter and insufficient food, and a woman must consider herself a slave in order that millions of her sex should go through this performance every morning. But hairdressers already have machines for brushing glossy or woolly heads of hair. Why should we not apply, then, the same principle to the other extremity, So it has not been done, and nowadays the machine for blocking boots is in the general use in big American and European hotels, its use is spreading outside hotels. In large English schools, where the pupils are boarding in the houses of the teachers, it has been found easier to have one single establishment which undertakes to brush a thousand pairs of boots every morning. As to washing up, where can we find a housewife who has not a horror of a long and dirty work that is usually done by hand? solely because the work of the domestic slave is of no account. In America, they do better. There are already a number of cities in which hot water is conveyed to the house as cold water is in Europe. Under these conditions, the problem was a simple one, and a woman, Miss Cochrane, solved it. Her machine washes 12 dozen plates or dishes, wipes them and dries them, in less than three minutes. A factory in Illinois manufactures these machines and sells them at a price within the reach of the average middle class purse. And why should not small households send their crockery to an establishment as well as their boots? It is even probable that the two functions, brushing and washing up, will be undertaken by the same association. Cleaning, rubbing the skin off your hands when washing and wringing linen, sweeping floors and brushing carpets, thereby raising clouds of dust, which afterwards occasion much trouble to dislodge from the places which they have settled down. All this work is still done because woman remains a slave. But it tends to disappear, as it can be infinitely better done by machinery. Machinery of all kinds will be introduced into households, and the distribution of motor powered in private houses will enable people to work them without muscular effort. Such machines cost very little to manufacture. If we still pay very much for them, it is because they are not in general use, and chiefly because an exorbitant tax is levied upon every machine by the gentlemen who wish to live in grand style and who have speculated on land raw material, manufacture, sale, patents, and duties. But emancipation from domestic toil will not be brought by small machines only. Households are emerging from their present state of isolation. They begin to associate with other households to do common what they did separately. In fact, in the future, we shall not have a brushing machine, a machine for washing up plates, a third for washing linen, and so on in each house. To the future, on the contrary, belongs the common heating apparatus which sends heat into each room of the whole district and spares the lighting of fires. It is already so in a few American cities. A great central furnace supplies all houses in all rooms with hot water, which circulates in pipes, and to regulate the temperature, you need only to turn a tap. And should you care to have a blazing fire in any particular room, you can light the gas specially supplied for heating purposes from the central reservoir. All the immense work of cleaning chimneys and keeping up fires and a woman knows what time it takes, is disappearing. Candles, lamp, and even gas have had their day. There are entire cities in which it is sufficient to press a button for light to burst forth. And indeed, it is a simple question of economy and knowledge to give yourself a luxury of electric light. And lastly, also in America, they speak of forming societies for the almost complete suppression of household work. It would only be necessary to create a department for every block of houses. A cart would come to each door and take the boots to be blocked, the crockery to be washed up, the linen to be washed, the small things to be mended if it were worthwhile, the carpets to be brushed, and the next morning would bring back the things entrusted to all well-cleaned. A few hours later, your hot coffee and your eggs done to a nicety would appear on your table. It is a fact that between 12 and 2 o'clock, there are more than 20 million Americans and as many Englishmen who eat roast beef or mutton, boiled pork, potatoes, and a seasonable vegetable. And at the lowest figure, 8 million fires burn during two or three hours to roast this meat and to cook these vegetables. 8 million women sped their time to prepare this meal that perhaps consists at at most 10 different dishes. 50 fires burn," wrote an American woman the other day, where one would suffice. Dine at home at your own table with your children if you like, but only think yourself. Why should these 50 women waste their whole morning to prepare a few cups of coffee and a simple meal? Why fifty fires, when two people and one single fire would suffice to cook all these pieces of meat and all these vegetables? Choose your own beef or mutton to be roasted if you're particular, season the vegetables to your taste if you prefer a particular sauce, but have a single kitchen with a single fire and organize it as beautifully as you are able to. Why has woman's work never been of any account? Why in every family are the mother and three or four servants obliged to spend so much time at what pertains to cooking? Because those who want to emancipate mankind have not included woman in their dream of emancipation and consider it beneath their superior masculine dignity to think of the kitchen arrangements which they have rayed on the shoulders of that drudge woman. To emancipate woman, it is not only to open the gates of the university, the law courts, or the parliaments. For her, the emancipated woman will always throw domestic toil onto another woman. To emancipate woman is to free her from the brutalizing toil of kitchen and wash house. It is to organize your household in such a way as to enable her to rear her children, if she be so minded, while still retaining sufficient leisure to take her share of social life. It will come to pass. As we have said, things are already improving. Only let us fully understand that a revolution intoxicated with the beautiful words, liberty, equality, solidarity, would not be a revolution if it maintained slavery at home half-humanity subjected to the slavery of the Earth would still have to rebel against the other half. This has been a production of Audible Anarchist. You can find more Audible Anarchist on YouTube.